Hello and welcome to The Quiet Living Room, a podcast by Quiet Social Club where we discuss and explore ideas on how to live and work well in a digital world. Every two weeks, we invite industry experts, entrepreneurs, scientists and inspiring voices to share their stories, knowledge and wisdom. My name is Eliana and I will be a host in today's episode. My guest today is Bailey Parnell. She's the founder of Safe Social, a nonprofit dedicated to investigating and developing solutions for responsible social media use with a mission to help people be mentally well before, during, and after social media use. Bailey's also the founder of Skills Camp, a soft skills training company that works with businesses and educational institutions to build soft skills in their staff and students. Her TED Talk, Is Social Media Hurting Your Mental Health, received over 4 million views. And I'm honored to have her with me today to speak about well-being, human connection, and the soft skills of the future in the age of tech and social media. Bailey, thanks so much for being here today. Happy to be here. Bailey, you started raising awareness for the importance of finding a healthy relationship with social media long before this even became a topic in the media. How did you get started and how has this journey been for you? Well, it's funny now because when you're doing it at the time, it just seems so natural to you. And you're like, why isn't everyone else talking about this? But then just to, I guess, age and time goes on and you realize, hey, like you may have actually been influenced other people joining this field, which is kind of neat. Um, I started looking into this stuff, though, only really around 2011, 2012 era. And it was because I worked in a higher ed institution, a university in Toronto at the time. And part of my role was responsible for social and digital marketing, or what we called it there was more digital student engagement. So really creating some early models for, hey, marketing has figured this out, but how do we use these same tools to build community with our students or to engage students in their education, most especially when they're not on campus? Because at that time, that school was like 96% commuter school. It's like kind of like a city school, like an NYU of Canada. So then... The other half of my role was in student affairs, which was kind of everything outside the classroom that supports student success, including health and wellness departments, mental health initiatives. And we were the ones to kind of combine it all together. And so really by about 2012 to 2014, we were saying, hey, well, if we're going to be asking young people to be on social media with us, it felt like a moral obligation to make sure that they could also do this safely because there was we were starting to see the beginning of research saying hey, there might be a connection between spending time on Facebook and maybe a decline in mental health or teens on Facebook. Like that was what we were studying at the time. Like there might be something worthy of of concern here. So then I started looking into um, our own student body. You know, what do you like most and least on each platform? How do you feel as a result of using? And then this really just snowballed over the years. I did my master's in this work. The TED Talk actually came out in 2017, which was even before I was technically done my master's. And um, it was based a lot on the professional work that we had done even before I went and decided to get a degree for it, basically. And uh, that snowballed, of course, to um, getting some notice and doing some talks around the world really about this. And I always felt when I was doing those talks, you should be able to get this knowledge without me in front of you. Like you shouldn't need me flying across the world to learn how social media might affect you, (laughs) the risks of using. So I always wanted there to be a nonprofit extension of this. 
And then really what I needed was the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, I got kind of three to four months of uninterrupted work in my room (laughs) to just build the nonprofit, honestly. And that's when I put together like the more formal portion of it, brought on the volunteers and whatnot. And then actually, it's funny we're talking now because it was only just a couple of weeks ago that we were formally approved as a charity in Canada, which can take like one to three years. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a big process. That is a very big milestone. Congratulations. So for someone who has not engaged with Safe Social before, could you explain a little bit more about what the work of Safe Social involves? What information does it provide for its users and how does it do that? Yeah, so the main three pillars of Safe Social are research, education, and empowerment. It's very much, and I find in general, actually, this whole field is still very much in an awareness phase of this work. Um, If you're thinking about any risky behavior, you know, you want to go from know better to do better to, you know, teach others to do better type of deal. But I actually still find I'm very much having the conversation with a lot of people of just, hey, do you even know what's happening here? So we actually spend a lot of time on the education piece, um, you know, whether it's even on our social media, what we're teaching about or going into classrooms, mostly around North America. But I get the pleasure of going all over the world to do this and teaching about the risks of using social. But actually more, I'd say what's most important to note today is that there is good sides of social media too. And all of our work is a harm reduction approach to to essentially mitigate those risks and get more of the good sides of social media. So this this really resonates even more so now than when I started this work with young people, because they'll come up to me and say like, oh, my parents and teachers are always just like, get off social media and they go, blah, blah, blah. Like we're not getting off. And I'm like, I know. That's why it would be a waste of my time to say, get off of it. It's less of a waste to say, take breaks and um, and look out for this stuff and do this stuff offline so that you can you know, reap those rewards. Are you finding that there's something that people are particularly surprised about when they interact with the content from Safe Social? What are most people most surprised about? It changes, well, I think it changes per age. So when we do older folks or parents, um, they can be surprised by just the, like how much this is used and how important a piece of young people's life this is. They don't, you know, recent research would actually suggest that young people confirmed by my own on the ground work, you know, is they don't really see it like my online life and my offline life. They just see it as just life. Like they've literally never known life without it. If we're talking to a Gen Z and certainly with their parents having it and all those sorts of things. So I think that um, this is good because at the same time, the research is showing that they see it as neutral in their lives about, I think it's about um, 59% or 52% or something like this. Certainly the majority of young people today are registering social media as neutral. They say like, oh, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. It just is. So they're kind of seeing it like, you know, maybe how we might view it, the TV We'll say like, well, you know, it can be good, can be bad. You know, sometimes I have a good day, sometimes I have a bad day. This I find promising because in my work, it's a lot easier to go from a neutral sentiment to a positive sentiment than it is to go from full on negative to full on positive. And if you ask older folks, you know, do you think social media has made the world a better or worse place? They most often say a worse place, but young people can't compare. So for them, it's just neutral. (laughs) I think it's super interesting you mentioned this because previously the differentiation between offline and online was more clear, right? 
And a lot of concern from the older generation would be that it's today, it's not the same quality of relationships when you're online. It's not the same way of living. And you might be missing out on developing some skills for your real, in parentheses, life when you are doing everything online. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say one of the things that I do certainly say to all young people, really all all generations actually, is, well, you know what? You just entered in the most important part of my research. I think the most important contribution out of that was that, so I was investigating what made someone feel good or what made someone feel bad because really that was of more interest to me. There was actually this whole group of people that wasn't being covered as much, I thought, which were where social media was having a positive impact on them. And the most important indicator in my research of whether or not someone would have a good time or a bad time and moderator, so how good or how bad, was how they felt about themselves offline at time of use, otherwise known as offline affect. So This is incredibly important because if you're actually trying to create a long-term strategy for yourself to actually have a life that where you don't hate social media, it might seem counterintuitive at first, but the number one suggestion I would give you is build an offline life that you are happy with. And I promise you it will translate online. And so, yeah, a hundred percent, I would tell kids to like, make sure that you're not forgetting about this offline life. I guess maybe we could make a clearer distinction. Like when I say that the students see it as neutral these days, they do, they're able to distinguish like how I present myself online and how I, who I am offline, but they just don't see it as like, they just see it as all one life. Like this affects the one, this affects the other, which is interesting. They see it as like a neutral thing in life that can go good or bad. What are some of the first foundational things you emphasize when you bring up the topic of safe social? Well, first, I've been using this format for a while, which seems to go well. Well, you also have to know that context matters. So a lot of the time, I'm only really getting an hour, maybe 90 minutes with these students, sometimes even 30 minutes. But if you give me five minutes, I will take it. So and I'll do my best to, you know, dispense the most amount of knowledge I can and have the most amount retained in that time. So with understanding that context, context, sometimes I'll do like the 365 or the 465 of social media, and we'll start with um, the landscape. So we'll, we'll cover things like, I, sometimes I call them stressors. Sometimes I call them understanding the environment you're playing in type of deal. And we'll cover concepts like what is a highlight reel? What is social currency? What is um, What are online predators? Um, what is online harassment? And this is to kind of understand like the space I'm playing in. This creates the risks and the good and the bad. So it's kind of like if we think about another risky behavior like driving, for example, um, a risky behavior is simply something in psychology where when you participate, you expose yourself to potential harm. That's it. We know for sure now that you purchase, like when you're on social media, you expose yourself to potential harm. And the same is true, like when you're driving. So when you're driving, we've done all of these things to help keep us safe and keep others safe on the road, right? So that we can mitigate the risk and get the benefits of it. Understanding the environment is basically teaching them what the road looks like. It's like, here's where you're going to be driving. Like, here's what to expect there. And then we go through in the three, six, five, we go to sometimes like six. Um, We'll go through maybe six risks of using here. Um, 
a risk is that you could become depressed, anxious. You could experience FOMO, which correlates with another risk, addiction. You could um, become lonely, surprisingly. You could get fr- become frustrated. You could experience PTSD because you never know what you're going to see in a feed and it might just be your trigger that day and all these things. Um, so then we, I really hit home the point for them. This is a risky behavior. That really resonates with actually everyone. I think that resonates with everyone. I say whether to parents, and I just said it to grade fours, you know, in the same day, a couple of weeks ago, it would be more useful for you to think about this like alcohol or like cannabis than it would be to think about it just like the TV or radio or another communications platform Mm -hmm. um, in your life. And then of course we spend the whole, you know, good portion of it on my five steps towards safe social. Like, what can you actually do about this? Beginning with, you know, building awareness and understanding, which they're doing right there. Are there any experiences or stories you want to share with us today that have kind of shown you, yes, this is exactly why I'm doing this? Your TED Talk, for example, received over 4 million views. And this is obviously a very clear sign that a lot of people have questions about this topic. Yeah, you know... You just don't know where things are going to always go. I had vision for, I still have vision about what the world could be like. And I have a lot of hope in this world, like in this world of uh, digital well-being. It's been interesting to see it become a field, like in the last 10 years, like our field was collected for the first time, I think ever just last year. (laughs) So you you hope that it will have the intended effect. I've seen some positive movements in younger generations, and this isn't just me. There's people like me all over the world, much like yourself. So I guess the things that make me think like, okay, this is working, we have an ambassador program and the ambassadors come from all over and they will say things, that, you know, they'll say things like I had this conversation with a parent today and I told them about what we're doing and I taught them about, you know, what social currency is because I taught them about how to have a conversation with their kids. Cause we also have a parent's page and an educators page. I actually find that a little bit like cooler in my life than, than just getting feedback for, for me. Like I'm very fortunate. I get to experience some um, direct feedback, you know, almost immediately after giving a talk. But when I hear that an ambassador has taken the ideas and has taught others who are now understanding how they can teach others. That to me is like, okay, yeah, that's the point. It's like you do this work and you understand this knowledge, but ultimately I believe that education is a, is a moral altruistic act. So it's like, just give it away. (laughs) This actually ties in beautifully with a bit more of an exploratory question that I had for you. If you could design any social media app, and this could be aligned with the safe social philosophy, how would this app look? You know what I do? That's a great thought experiment. We could probably riff on that for a long time. The first thing that pops into my head is that it would be tied to your identity. Like if we really want a great social, um, like a public sphere that exists on online and the same benefits that we got from the offline public sphere in terms of well, everything, (laughs) then it should be tied to your identity, like formalized in a formal way. That way we would probably, we would probably eliminate a lot of risks that way, or just at least mitigate some of them. Like for example, you probably would see less harassment and bullying. You probably would see less um, grooming, um, like predators, because it would be tied to who they actually are and they're, and you know, I'm sure there's going to be ways to get around it, but for the majority 
you'd be fine. Whereas now, right now you've got little Ricky in Iowa hiding behind a screen and an egg radicalizing himself because there's no accountability. So, and no parents teaching and none of the other systemic structures. Um, I wouldn't even create the platform in the first place until, until companies and governments and parents knew what we're talking about here. (laughs) So that's another one. I would make it so that like driving, there is, you know, some kind of competency, fitness, understanding test that you have to do before joining. (laughs) And maybe along the way, like, you know, maybe there's a reminder every so often, like we have road signs that it's like, Hey, you're going too fast. Maybe there's a reminder that's like, um, um, these words you're using are typically offensive, just letting you know. And, um, you've been here five hours today. You know, you might enjoy a walk outside. I don't know. (laughs) Something like this. Right. And again, yeah, I know I could ignore it. If I want to, I could find the answers to the initial test. If I wanted to, you could do that for driving too, if you really wanted to. But, um, but I think it would help a lot of people. And even if you're forced to answer the question and you don't care about it, it's kind of one of those things that sits with you later. So these are just kind of the first things that are coming to my mind because I'm thinking about it like another risky behavior. I also think of everything through an equity lens. So you have to think, what are the benefits that brought traditionally oppressed people? They gained benefits online that didn't exist offline. So we would want to maintain that in some way. Like I would still want private spaces online, even if your identity is tied to it. Um, I would still want uh, people to be able to speak freely and openly, but obviously people need to understand that freedom of speech never came with freedom of no consequence. And do you see any progress from existing tech companies in this direction? Well, you know, this is going to be an interesting conversation because I would say the only progress I've seen has been progress that does not impact the bottom line. So it'll be like, oh, we're adding an Instagram well-being page to the back end. (laughs) I don't know anyone who's actually read that full page unless they were people like me, (laughs) you know? And um, there's like, oh, you can't get on. The only progress I've seen is probably TikTok. And here's an interesting one and very interesting this week that we're talking, given that the U.S. is uh, considering banning it um, for other reasons and other risks, which we can talk about. But from the mental health side of things, TikTok is actually showing the best results for mental health of youth, as in sometimes like way more um, positive than any of the others. And I can say this from a practical standpoint. TikTok to me is hilarious. Like I have a very entertaining time on TikTok. I always laugh. <laughs> like I learn things. Um, and to me, entertainment, joy, um, that would be a positive outcome of using social media and 30 minutes experiencing entertainment. If you actually are, um, would not be inherently worse than 30 minutes of like reality television or something like that. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've had this conversation on numerous occasions now, whether it is with the younger generation, with millennials or older generations. When we have a moment to fill today, whether it is the lunch break or an afternoon at home, that we would have previously had to fill with something else, like an afternoon activity or going up to a stranger or even just sitting and doing nothing, We now just use and turn to our devices. And this doesn't just add up into real chunks of time, 
But it also prevents us from having these moments or these conversations with strangers that we would have had otherwise. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I have both I have both sentiments towards that because you just brought me back in your story to a distinct memory in high school. Cause um on one side, I would say, yeah, like we I would say to parents, as much as you can, you know, whatever privilege you're afforded, help your teenager find an offline outlet. Like whatever it is. Even if it's hanging with their friends and they're going to a sleepover, like I don't know you don't want to drive them there. Like it'll probably be for the better in the long term. But, um, you know, one place I see where this could provide a social savior is like, you know, the classic lunchroom. I remember there was a couple, I went to a very large high school and, you know, I was pretty good. I had a lot of friends, so I was good in that way and whatnot. But I do remember just like a couple of lunches that clearly stuck out in my memory to even remember them at all, where I couldn't, find any of my friends and, or they had gone home for lunch or they had a spare or something. And I was just like, felt so attacked. Right. <laughs> I'm like, what do I even do with my life? Like, and thank goodness there was a, there was a space, um, which was our music room. Students would often hang in there at lunch and they would just like riff. It was always such a safe space. And I'm so grateful for that. But in the times where you know, it wasn't there. I could see easily, you know, how a kid would be like, oh my gosh, like, I just need to make it look like I'm doing something. And maybe social media is kind of becoming that thing. So I'll give that grace for sure. But I would still say, you know, do your best to find some offline outfit outlets. Do you think that safe social and your observations of what is happening in the world, did that impact the founding of Skills Camp? Actually, no. So Skills Camp came first. It's kind of a funny story because I mentioned that role where I had at that university where my role was very much half-half. Like half of my role was social marketing, everything we talked about, building digital community. But the other half of my role within student affairs, which is like I mentioned, everything outside the classroom that supports student success. So things like health and wellness, career centers, um, student events, experiences, housing, all those things we kind of partnered with those departments to help them kind of update, innovate, co-create their new programming. So it was very clear to me that the students who were using those services like health and wellness and going to resilience programming or career centers and understanding networking and personal branding and going to student events and engagement and all these things, the students who were using those services were more successful. But the reality was most didn't. And at the time there was work coming out from our government in Canada, which was reflected in the States as well, about um, a skills gap and a potential reason for it being a lack of essential skills in in people in general. Those essential skills being things like um, resilience, literacy, um, problem solving, a lot of soft skills. So it was it was clear to me also that those students become employees without the same requisite skills to succeed personally and professionally. And there's a bit of a blame game in the industry about who's responsible for educating people on these skills. Is it families? Is it schools? Is it higher ed? Is it the workplace themselves? Is it governments? And part that blame game, I think, is in part of the reason why there's a gap in the first place. So skills, I just really thought I was the perfect person to solve the problem because I started my career in film and television and marketing. So I understood that part of business. I could do like, I was literally working on these kinds of skills within the university. And um, 
So I just kind of put it all together and started delivering that. And, and I have to say at one point I felt like I was, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have this internal crisis at some point where I'm going to need to choose between uh, safe social and skills camp. And I couldn't have been more wrong because it was a poetic thing of life. Like what a, what a beautiful thing that when I did the honest research, like where I wasn't intending to come out of it with anything, um, I was even exploring like time on social media. If that was even like a good enough variable to indicate experience on social media. But like I told you, what came out of it was the most important thing was your offline self. And I was like, wow, I'm already building the solution at Skills Camp. If you are, which I'm still getting shivers today, because it's like, you know, if you are more resilient, period, it will translate online. You are going to be more likely to handle whatever you see on that given day. Time management, self-awareness, self-confidence, all of these things translate to the online world. And actually, I can now say affirmatively, are the most important things. So then fast forward to today and the connection between the two institutions is stronger than it's ever been because, you know, as, as we were talking about just earlier, workplaces these days, especially in North America and post pandemic are now going in the direction of hybrid for good. Some have gone full remote, but that means that we spend a lot of our time, especially knowledge work in digital cultures workplace digital cultures, which means then that workplace culture is digital culture. So now suddenly my safe social world and my digital well-being world is in my skills camp world saying like, hey, well, if you want to kind of take your workplace culture online, or if you want to talk inclusion or tech life balance or all of these things, now I'm just pulling from both worlds all the time. <laughs> I can imagine this must have been a beautiful moment where things just come together and make sense. You mentioned screen time and that if a person is more resilient in real life, this would also help them navigate their time online better. Does the actual amount of time people spend online affect the way they feel about themselves in their offline life? Is there a correlation? Screen time is an interesting thing. Parents always want to ask about screen time. The time you spend in any world, in any realm is going to affect you in other realms. <laughs> like, yeah, like we don't just stop being a person when we're learning online versus the offline world. So yeah, you spend time there. What you consume is of greater importance. However, recent research would say that um, the time is more inconsequential than the quality of the time. And when you say that, that sounds obvious, but people still ask me about screen time all the time. And I would say, you know, you're on a road trip and your kid is watching YouTube for 10 hours. That might not be worse than if they even have 30 minutes where they've been triggered, harassed, they were left out of a group. Like the 30 minutes can do absolutely more damage than the 10 hours if, if the quality of the time is not good, right? So it's about you know, the, when we talk about something like resilience or the offline skills, that's almost the proactive upstream work. Like, let's make sure that this isn't even a problem in the first place, because you've already, you already have a good sense of self-confidence. You've already done some of this learning. You understand that this is not a reflection of reality. Like, you know, to augment a photo makes it quite literally unreal. So you even just having this language makes people better able to navigate the situation in the first place. Do you think that this new hybrid way of living actually requires new soft skills then? And has your engagement with safe social 
impacted the soft skills that you look at with Skills Camp? You know, so like I said, Skills Camp is separate, largely operates separately. And actually, since that's my for-profit business, part of our corporate social justice is funding the charity um, in this space, but other things too. So it's, you know, separately, I've seen different trends through the soft skills development world. Um, when I first started, I launched I launched Skills Camp at the beginning of 2016, whereas Safe Social as an organization wasn't launched until 2020. So Skills Camp, when I first started, there was a lot of emphasis on job, like obtaining job skills, like networking, personal branding was a huge one at the beginning, interviewing, communications. Then um, there was a, a stark transition over to well-being. Like there was a big, pretty, pretty big change. Um, in the pandemic, by far, by a factor of over three, our biggest seller is anything to do with stress management and resilience and burnout. Started to see the introduction of more emotional intelligence. Now I'm starting to see, oh, and then there was the wave of um, anything to do with diversity, inclusion, equity work. Yeah, right now I'm getting into a little bit more psychological safety. And I think right now what's really big is change friendliness and adaptability. Well, you actually almost answered my final question about the future of soft skills, but I will ask it anyway. What skills do you think will become increasingly relevant as we move more and more online with the dawn of AI, AR, and VR, virtual reality? Resilience is a big one. Change friendliness and adaptability. Cross-cultural communication is going to be a big one as well. The trends that we're moving in are going to be increasingly online, increasingly global, essentially. So you got to like react to that in your skills. The only things that don't change though are the soft skills. So it's worth investing in. Thank you so much, Bailey, for your time and all your valuable advice. Do you have any parting words that you want to leave with our listeners today? Well, I would say practice safe social. <laughs> Do the things that you need to do to get the benefits of this while mitigating the risks and then teach others about it. I couldn't have said it any better and we'll be sure to link everything we talked about in the show notes of this episode, links to your website of Skills Camp and Safe Social. Thank you so much for being here today, Bailey. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. Thank you also to you, our listeners, for being here. We'll be back in two weeks with more conversations on living and working well in a digital world. So if you enjoyed the conversation and the insights from today, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and I look forward to seeing you again next time.